he was praying for me. And he prayed a really simple prayer. He said, God wants you to do something for him. But what was happening in me in that moment, it felt like God was downloading a sense of purpose and a, a sense of destiny in my mind, in my heart. From that moment on, I knew I need to do something for God, but I didn't know what that was. So for 15 years, I was asking God, what do you want me to do? And then I met Melanie. I was determined to stay in the U.S. I got comfortable. The problem is that she also has a missionary call. She said, I don't think God is calling me to stay here. We need to leave the U.S. God is calling me to be a missionary too. So I accepted that idea. I'm going to the mission field. That's clear to me. I didn't know where I was going to go. I felt I had to be in Spain. And so it was a real struggle in my heart. Knowing that God was speaking to me, telling me, go to Germany, and just resisting. I don't even know why I was resisting that. I said, if you want me to go to Germany, you have to give me love for Germans. And I knew this is not going to happen. And as I'm praying, I had a vision. Two human hands, huge hands, coming down from heaven with a package. And God said to me, do you want love for Germans? Uh, here, take it. So I received the package, and I can tell you that God gave me love for Germans. So I came to Germany somehow loving Germans, not knowing the culture, not knowing them, but just, just having this disposition to get to know them, to be with them, and to engage them, to be friends with them that I didn't have before. And so I came to the field with this freedom in my heart, ready to do what God wanted me to do. He's making it easy for us to say, no, I have to stay here. <laughs> it doesn't matter what we face. So, yeah, we're here. This is what he wants us to do. Welcome, everybody. I'd like to invite you to stand with us as we uh, lead into worship. Um, so I'm just going to pray for us, and then we'll get started. Um, Jesus, we thank you for this time that we get to dedicate to you. We just ask that this time would be um, for your glory, um, that your will would be done in this place, um, that you would change our hearts and minds uh, to be more like you.
before you with a posture of praise, God. We stand before you, gathered together in community, and we just declare that all of this is for you. We just want to praise and bless your holy name. So we thank you for being present here today. It is truly our desire to worship you during this time. So Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. We'll go ahead and have a seat. Good morning, Common Ground Church. My name's Evan. I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm thrilled that you guys got to stay in town here for this holiday weekend. So good to see your smiling faces. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, I want to be with family, but good to see some of you here. Love that some of you have family in town. You're able to celebrate this day. Happy Fourth of July weekend. Hopefully, you're able to just celebrate um, the place that you live. Be thankful to God for it and to be able to gather around family um, in a safe way where you don't lose any of your digits and so prayers for that so happy fourth of july weekend uh we have a few announcements just to fill you in today on the first one is a great job and a and a congratulations and a well done to all of you that helped out at the halawasa workday yesterday so camp halawasa is fast approaching well done you can clap So we got a lot done yesterday at camp. As you can see, Chris brought the skid steer there. And so this guy sat in an air-conditioned bulldozer for seven hours and had me follow him around with a shovel and a rake moving all that gravel around. And so I hope you guys know your pastor was out there working and my soft little Bible-flipping hands are all destroyed now um, from all that hard work. Um, But it was a great time. We got a lot done there. Really excited for the next few weeks um, when camp is going to be kicking off, when elementary schoolers, middle schoolers, and high schoolers are going to be gathering together um, to hear about Jesus, many of whom for the first time. And so well done on that. Good job. Uh, we're going to be stay tuned for the next work days coming up. Um, speaking of work to do, uh, we really just have to applaud Common Ground here because you guys are small and mighty with a lot of the projects that you guys are doing, especially in helping camp get running, but also with Showered with Hope. Um, so this is a project that we've been working on as a church where Ted Hayward, um, who's out camping in his own trailer at this point, um, has purchased this trailer that we are going to be turning in to a shower trailer um, for our neighbors who don't have showers. And so we've really been working on this, clearing it all out, and the community has kind of gathered around it. So we actually have a plumbing company, Loyal Plumbing, that has volunteered to do all the plumbing for showers and toilets for free, voluntarily. And then we have an electrical company, Kilowatt Electrical, who's going to do all the electrical for free, just voluntarily. And so we just need to make sure it's completely ready for electrical to go in. And so this week on Thursday at 6.30 p.m. at Loyal Plumbing, um, which is where they've been keeping it, we're going to have a work day where we need to clean out all the leftover insulation that's in there so that electrical can go in. And so we just have a few more projects to do as we gather together and get this thing ready um, for the skilled professionals. So if you could join us at Loyal Plumbing, which is kind of on the west side of town here, um, at 6.30 p.m. on Thursday... We need your help um, to get this thing ready so that the professionals can come in and hook this thing up. And then we have the goal of having this trailer ready by August 1st, right, Chris? We want this thing operational in August. We need, like, one good work day. One good work day. Awesome. So hopefully Thursday can be that day. So if you are available Thursday at 6.30 p.m., or if you know someone who is, tell them about this. Tell someone who's camping right now, hey, I was at church, so now it's your job to go work on this trailer on Thursday. Um, Go ahead and help that out so that we can serve those in our community um, who don't have showers. But that's a great project that we've been working on. So join us this Thursday. Um, Another opportunity that you have um, that Chris would probably tell you about um, is if you're a guy and you like waking up early and working out, then Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, 
Um, he has been working with this organization called F3, which stands for Faith, Fitness, and Fellowship. And so 5.30 a.m., three times during the week, um, they meet at, I guess, would you call that Founders Park? Out at the Berlin Wall, basically by the pond there. Memorial Park, okay, yeah. The, the boundaries are kind of blurred there, so it's hard to tell. But at Memorial Park, <laughs> not really. Okay, so join them at Memorial Park there. And so they have a workout there. It's always free. I guess you could have a fourth F in there because it's always free to work out there. They have a workout, um, and then they go to coffee, um, and they just talk about aspects of faith, um, really enter into fellowship together. There's also one at 6 a.m. on Saturday. So I would encourage you um, to join that for you guys in the room at 5.30 a.m. Monday, Wednesday, Friday. It gives you plenty of time to get to work and gives you a chance to gather in a community. Um, as you continue um, to grow in faith with one another. And then, um, last announcement I have for you is that we've been putting together a greeting team. Uh, Mark and Carol Cole are heading that up, but as you can see, they're out of town this weekend, and so we need more people um, to join the team. We need more people to be involved. If you'd like to be involved um, with just being a greeter out front, helping people to navigate this theater that we meet in, helping people um, to know where to get coffee, or just making this place um, feel more welcoming to guests, to people that have never been here before, Please come talk to myself, talk to Nick, or talk to Mark and Carol Cole um, when you see them next so that you can get involved in that team because we truly want to make this a place where people feel welcome and comfortable um, so that all of the awkward little feelings don't get in the way of truly hearing the message of the gospel um, because we truly want this to be a place where we can come and meet with Jesus and sometimes those weird little social aspects can get in the way of that. And so we just want to be able to remove that, make people feel welcome, comfortable, and to be able to display the love of Christ to all. Sound like a plan? So on that same topic... We're going to do that right now, where I'm going to invite you to your feet and give you the opportunity to greet one another, to say hi to one another, to say good morning, to tell them your plans for the 4th of July, whether that is to stay in town, to go see family, to blow something up, or to be safe and to not pollute anything at home. Uh, But go ahead and rise to your feet and greet one another this morning.
Options for giving in person, online, and text. There's also a nice QR code there that you can uh, scan, and that'll take you to the online giving. Um, 
So we're going to go into another song. Um, uh, you guys should know this one. Feel free to sit or stand. Uh, <laughs> but at least put yourself in a posture of worship for this one. Uh, we're going to sing Holy Spirit.
just the fire of your Holy Spirit. Let it fall down on us. Thank you, worship team, for leading us into that time of song and praise. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nick. If I haven't met you, I hope I get a chance to do that. Um, on Sunday, when we gather here, we, we call this time a worship service, and we try to make every element of what we do here uh, worship. I mean, even the announcements, we worship God because we're excited about the opportunities that invites us to step into um, our time of greeting with one another. You know, we just celebrate the family that God gives us through faith in Jesus Christ. And of course, with uh, song and music, um, we're able to praise God together. Uh, this is the time of the service in which we continue in a kind of posture of worship uh, where we pray with one another. And it's been part of uh, this particular uh, community's practice that uh, we just opened. Evan's going to be running around with a microphone here in a minute, and it should be really easy for him. It's funny that even though there's fewer in number, we still scatter and use the whole space. So we want our pastor to get a lot of exercise. Um, but if there's something that you would like us to uh, to, to share in uh, praise with you or maybe share in prayer with you, um, this is the opportunity opportunity to do that. So uh, you just raise your hand and Evan will find you and uh, bring the mic to you. If you'd please say your name so that we know who we're praying for, because we don't just pray today. We like to continue praying throughout the week uh, for these things. Now, there are a couple that I'm bringing with me before I let Judy go here. Uh, uh, first of all, uh, my wife is with her dad in the emergency room. Uh, he went in this morning at about four o'clock with chest pains. And so we've been praying for Jim, and uh, he's been really having a rough time health-wise and things like that. So that's where they are right now. And just before the service started, I got a message from Josh Porto asking us to pray for Kayla's mom. You know, she's been struggling, uh, fighting against cancer. She's been going through some treatments, and right now she's just very rough is how Josh put it. So please be praying for, uh, for all of them. Uh, and their health concerns as, uh, as we go through this day and the rest of this week. Okay, Judy. to do a praise to the Lord for finally answering prayers about the um, abortion thing that um, our country has been praying for a long time. 60 million babies have been aborted and so now maybe people can start thinking the other direction for a while. Really, really um, think that's a wonderful that God has done, and all the people that have worked on that and prayed for that, and I thank 
you, Kathleen, who's, yeah, big changes in our country going on, and this is an opportunity for the church to rise up and really focus on, you know, the real issue is how do we protect babies' lives? Uh, but at the same time, how do we take care of ladies? How do we take care of these mothers and these women? So it's not an easy issue at all, uh, but now we have the opportunity to really go to work. So let's pray that uh, we celebrate what God's doing, but also step into what God wants us to do. Right? Anything else? Anybody else? Okay. Thank you. My name is Tatiana. I just want to, the same uh, (coughs) request of uh, pray for my family in Ukraine. Um, part of them, which is my three brothers and and their family, um, lives in the city of Dnieper that it's starting uh, have experienced shootings um, in the city. Some ci- civil um, citizens died uh, last week. So, uh, praying for their safety. And uh, also ability to go in more safely places. And the uh, other part of family lives in the, as a refugees in the Czech Czech Republic, which is my um, two sister, nieces, and a nephew. <coughs> so please pray for them. There is no jobs right now in those areas where refugees are. Uh, it's a lot of people. Uh, there and without language is very hard to find any jobs so uh, we praise the Lord that he is blessing them uh, even though without any um, resources from like their own stuff or jobs so thank you thank you Tatiana just kind of secretly enjoying that uh, request keep going from extreme ends just to make yeah just wait you know yeah, and then decides next all right uh i'm logan uh so a couple things first off some praises um first off we, we have a one-year-old which is a little hard to believe but on top of that um we just celebrated our eighth wedding anniversary within like 10 days of that and then having to do with I know she she puts up with me for some reason I don't know um, on top of that with camp as Evan mentioned we had a great work day so praise for everybody that came out to help with that um, but going into camp season starting next week um, just prayers for all the staff of those camps all the kids that are coming um, there's a lot of new directors myself included Caleb Daniel are all directing for the first time I believe at least um, and all the new staff and, you know, returning staff, prayers that we can be what the kids need in that moment and that we can let God speak through us um, during that week with them. Um, so, yeah, just prayers for all of that going forward. Absolutely. Thank you, Logan. Okay. All right. Looks like we're going to give you a break, Evan. So. <laughs> oh, okay, Christina. Well, this is about my uh, grandpa, Sylvester Belcher, or Sub, as everybody around here knows him. Um, A few days ago, it was his uh, 91st birthday on July 1st. Of course, 
we kind of sprung him from the nursing home for a nice celebration, but which is a really scary time to see his personality do a kind of 180, getting, getting in a fight with my Uncle Alan, and, which is really scary for me and everything because he's always been the funny guy in the family next to my dad. <laughs> but it just kind of really scares me. I know it's getting, he's getting on years, but you didn't know what I mean. He's going to be okay. I mean, his health and everything. All right, yeah, pray for Stubb. Uh, you know, when you're when you're not feeling well and when you're immobile, you can't move around, don't have the independence that you used to have and things, it, you not just feel lousy physically, but uh, it wears on you mentally, emotionally, and things like that as well. So really, really be praying for Stubb for uh, God to encourage his spirit these days. Okay, well, uh, we're going to move into a time of prayer. Uh, in the... Um, the discipleship guide for this week, for this sermon, uh, one of the practical things to do is to uh, to pray the Psalms. And uh, so uh, I would encourage you to read through the Psalms. They're not very good for preaching material, but they're really good for praying. Uh, and if you've ever just kind of struggled with, well, I'm not sure how to pray or something like that, uh, the Psalms are a great guide for that. And uh, you'll also find out that the Psalms will help you to pray very honestly. Uh, I think when we come into a posture of worship, we sometimes think we have to change something about what's going on in our hearts, you know, so that we're appropriate for God or polite before God or something. Of course, we should fear God and, and respect Him, but we should also fear Him enough that, and respect Him enough that we come to Him honestly and openly. If we're confused, don't hide that someplace, carry that with you. Uh, if you're frustrated, bring that to God. I promise you, he is emotionally strong enough to take our emotional weaknesses, and he will give us strength and grant us in that. But uh, as we as we pray today, and as we cover some of these things, um, I'm going to be com combining Psalm 15 and Psalm 24. So, uh, so let's bow in prayer. And I'm going to read that psalm, and then we, we will pray together. Uh, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has a clean, a clean hands and a pure heart. He who does not lift up his soul to what is false. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. He who speaks truthfully in his heart, who does no evil to a neighbor, who does not slander with his tongue, does not uh, take up a reproach or a complaint against a friend. He who honors those who fear the Lord. Those are just some of the things that were listed there and good things to pray for. So, Lord, as we come before you today, we are grateful. God, we're grateful for the fact that we have the freedom here in this place that a lot of people don't have around the world, and that is to openly congregate, gather together, worship you, praise your name publicly. And, and Lord, we, we don't want to take that freedom for granted and, and that great privilege, really, that you give us to be able to do that. So, Lord, thank you that we have this time uh, to gather as uh, brothers and sisters uh, in faith in Christ and to encourage one another, support one another, 
um, help one another, do whatever we can, Lord, uh, as we walk through life together. The requests that have been shared today show that sometimes uh, life is good, and we can celebrate that. And sometimes, Lord, life can be hard, and uh, and we need one another in those times. So thank you for uh, for the salvation that you give us through Christ, and in that salvation, the family of Christ uh, that can gather together. Lord, today we pray for, for Kayla's mom, uh, for Lori's dad, for Sandy, for Stubb, and anyone else whose physical uh, situation is is tough for them right now. God, you are the one who who created us. You're the one who made us. You you formed these bodies, and you made them incredibly fearfully and wonderfully. And uh, Lord, we still are figuring things out when it comes to our health. In our physical being, uh, we don't have all the all the knowledge about this that we do, but or, or should. But you do, God, and so we turn to you and we depend upon you, Lord, to be our healer. And we pray that in each of these situations, God, your touch would be there, and that you would bring encouragement along with uh, physical healing. And God, that you would glorify yourself in Kayla's mom and Lori's dad and Stubb. And, and Sandy, and that you would show your greatness through them. Um, Lord, there's things going on around us that are big and they're huge and they're difficult and they're confusing and um, everybody has a different idea about these things and sometimes uh, because of our different ideas or our different approach or our different stance or perspective on things, uh, we don't get along too well. <laughs> and, and, and Lord, those things are happening in our country and so we pray for our country. Lord, that even as you are moving and even as you are working, that we would remember um, as citizens of your kingdom to live in this place in such a way that we would honor you and show respect and gentleness to the people around us. So, God, may we be a people that that pursue holiness and righteousness. Um, as, as we were reading through those psalms, Lord, may we be the kind of people that... that do desire pure hearts that do want our hands to be clean of any sin who do not lift up our souls to things that are false may we be a people that that do speak truthfully in our heart and if we make a promise god will keep that promise even if it hurts us and lord would we be careful with our tongue not to speak against our neighbors not to say things that would harm them or their reputation Lord, may we be the protectors and defenders of our friends. And Lord, may we truly show honor towards those who are doing their best just to follow you, just to know you, just to understand you a little bit better. Lord, may we be that kind of people that we would strive for unity, strive for love, strive for grace, strive for peace. Because this is a tough life, Lord. And we've got to have one another to do this. So, Lord, would you make us through your spirit those kind of people. And, Father, we think of uh, Tatiana's family as they're going through incredible hardship with this struggle that's been going on with the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine. And some are there, Lord, living and trying to live their lives normally in the midst of this invasion and not having the resources and the things that we're used to having at hand constantly. 
some have had to flee the country and are living in places where um, they're dependent upon others and they don't have the means to be able to provide for themselves. So God, we ask that you protect them. We ask that you provide for them. We ask that you bring peace to this territory. Lord, we cause the Christians in Ukraine and the surrounding nations there to rise up together and Lord, um, uh, stand against evil uh, and stand with one another. So, Lord, look over them, and, 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 Lord, we pray that you will intervene in a very difficult difficult time for them. And, Lord, as Logan reminded us, there's things to celebrate, like babies and anniversaries and, and uh, good hard work being put in at a camp. Uh, Lord, thank you for those things. Help us to rejoice today and to celebrate in the, in the good that you bring into our lives. And, Father, we pray for camp, that it will be a good thing in the lives of every single camper that comes and attends this summer. So, Lord, be with the staff. Be especially with the the new blood, as we like to call them, as they're stepping into roles for the first time to direct or lead or counsel or or, or that sort of thing. God, may, may they find themselves completely equipped by your Holy Spirit. And, and, and you doing the work, God, and them just uh, experiencing the joy of you working through them. And uh, I, did, I love what Logan said, that, that they would be who these kids need them to be that week. Uh, and on top of that, Lord, that they would be who you desire them to be this week. So God, really work in their hearts and their lives. Father, uh, thank you again uh, that we can know the joy of salvation that we can know the hope of reconciliation and, and restoration. And Lord, thank you that, um, that not only do you do the saving work in us through the finished work of Jesus Christ, but you, you sanctify us through your Holy Spirit. And as you do that, Lord, that means that there's things in our life that probably, well, I, I can speak for myself, there's things in my life that aren't very much like Jesus, and they need to be. And so, God, thank you for your word, that as we go to your word, um, your spirit and, and, and the Bible can work in our hearts to, uh, to uh, realign who we are so that we are more like who you created us to be and who you died and rose again to redeem us to be. So as we go into your word today, we ask that you would be with our pastor, that you would be with Evan. And that, God, the sermon that you have been uh, giving to him throughout these last few days, that you would continue to just make that sermon take life in his heart and that your words would come out on his lips and that they would penetrate deep into our spirits, that we might hear your word through him, God, and desire the change, desire the heart of Christ. So, Lord... May you cause us together today and on this Sunday, this 3rd of July, to be a people whose heartbeats are perfectly aligned with Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask that for your kingdom. We ask that for your glory. We ask that for the good of all souls that we get to dwell with here on this earth. Lord, move in us that we may move into this world with the name of Jesus Christ and the hope of salvation on our lips. We pray in Jesus' name.
you guys for leaning into that time. I'll let you come up. You need a hand. <laughs> All right. Well, as Nick said, um, we're continuing on in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, um, where Jesus is laying out a picture of what it looks like um, to live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, of what it looks like to live in every single way like Jesus. Um, and so um, for the last few weeks, we've been looking at these different areas of our lives that Jesus has been instructing on. And over the last two weeks, we talked about things like lust, sexual temptation, adultery, and then we talked about divorce. And so now that the easy stuff is out of the way, we get to move to some of the hard stuff here today. Um, it's going to be good. Um, but right off the bat, I want you to find your way to Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. And we're going to read this right away. We're going to be in verse 33 through 37. We'll have the words on the screen here as well. Um, but let's turn to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous teaching, and see uh, what he has to say to us this week. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. Again, you have heard it said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Okay. So this is easy enough, right, when it comes to living as, as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Because as I look over my last week, I made a total of zero oaths and vows. Right? So I feel like I'm doing pretty good, right, when we look at this. Um, or at least that's kind of what I thought when I first read this passage. Um, and especially after a few weeks of very hard, very intense teachings, um, where Jesus was saying things like, you know, um, if you even look lustfully at another person, you've committed adultery. If you even think um, of hatred towards a brother, then you're guilty of murder. And then the difficult teaching about divorce. When we come to this passage, I kind of had the sense that, like, finally, something that I'm not terrible at in the Sermon on the Mount. This is great. And maybe when you read that, you're like kind of relieved. You're like, oh, holiday weekend, Evan is not talking to us about something really hard. Well, let me just squelch that little bit of joy in your spirit um, for a moment, um, because as we look into it, I think really we're going to see that this is actually almost a very difficult teaching and a very serious topic that Jesus is talking about here. And one of the scholars that I was reading over the last week said that this passage, when viewed at face value, is deemed one of the most neglected and insignificant in all of the Sermon on the Mount. And yet, for the disciple of Jesus, it can be one of the most catalytic messages for us. And so with that being said, let's try to get to the heart of what Jesus was saying here. Especially because Jesus was not only talking about first century oath-making practices. Um, but actually what Jesus is talking about here is the temptation, the, the tendency that all of us have towards dishonesty, towards deception. And Jesus is calling us here to be people of the truth, of integrity, people who keep our word, to be people who live lives of complete honesty. So it's more than just this first century teaching about oaths. Um, and we know that Jesus was addressing something in the culture because he begins with that statement that he begins a lot of the teachings in the Sermon on the Mount with is, you have heard it said, right? 
Um, again, you heard that it was said to the people long ago, Jesus said. And in a way, he's signaling that he's going to be teaching on something essentially from the Old Testament or essentially on something that the teachers of the day have been teaching. I mean, he's going to get down to the correct interpretation on the matter or he's going to get down to the heart on what exactly his teaching was about. Obviously, he's talking about speech and keeping your word, which for the people in the first century was a very, very serious thing. You see, in those days... In the world before security footage, in a world before you could quickly make a copy of any legal document, um, before you had a paper trail to keep people accountable to their word, the words that were spoken mattered. And if someone made a commitment, if someone made a business deal, you didn't really have much to go on aside from just the word that they spoke. So if someone promised that they were going to do something, if they promised they were going to pay you or they promised they were going to give you a service or a product, most of the time all you had to guarantee that you would actually receive what they promised you is their word. And so keeping your word, keeping your vow, keeping your oaths that were made were very important at this time. Very important at this time. And so when Jesus is teaching here, he's teaching not just on one specific passage, but he's teaching on this whole cultural practice of oath-keeping and vow-keeping, which essentially, as you go back to the Old Testament, was not just one little passage or one little Ten Commandment he was teaching on, but Jesus is kind of covering the entire topic of honesty, of deception, of keeping to your word. And so Jesus was essentially teaching from passages like Leviticus 19, which says, do not lie. Pretty simple there. Do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. Or places like Deuteronomy chapter 23. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it, for the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from making a vow, you will not be guilty. Whatever your lips utter, you must be sure to do, because you made your vow freely to the Lord your God with your own mouth. Or places like Ecclesiastes chapter 5. When you vow a vow, I guess vow is a verb here too, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. And many, many other verses on the, on the topic. But all throughout the Old Testament, God was leading his people towards honesty. He was leading his people towards keeping their word. And so when Jesus is saying, okay, you've heard it said, this is the way that it was, He's recognizing the reality that this system of vows and oaths had been put in place to hold people accountable. Uh, We have to be able to trust their word. We have to have something in place so that people are motivated to keep their word and not just go back on it. But he's recognizing and he's teaching that though the system of vows and oaths that people would make was put in place to prevent lying, it doesn't get down to the heart of the matter. It doesn't actually prevent all deception. It didn't actually go far enough. That there were still ways to maybe omit certain details of the truth. There were still ways to kind of twist the truth there. Jesus said that these oaths that people were making don't actually solve the problem of dishonesty. They don't actually solve that. And so Jesus here essentially tells them don't swear oaths at all. Because as he mentioned there, the different examples of how people would swear, the things that they would swear on... Uh, One example is obviously people swearing in the name of the Lord. And that's a way to say that I am going to be held accountable by God to keep my words. But what people realize is that, oh, well, if I didn't want to actually keep my word, I'd rather not be held accountable by God or swear on something as big as God. And so they started to kind of swear on other things, like swear on the city in which they lived, 
They were swearing on Jerusalem, or they were swearing on, apparently, the color of their hair, on these other things that seemed important, but maybe not quite as valuable. Because then, if you failed to keep your word, eh, I mean, what's, what's really the harm there? You didn't actually swear on God. And so they were swearing on all these lesser things. And Jesus is essentially saying, don't do that anymore. Don't do that anymore. He calls his people to live differently, to not need to be held accountable by all these different systems and by all these different oaths, but simply to be a people who tell the truth all the time. Complete honesty. Complete honesty. And Jesus knew that for them to not be swearing these oaths or to not make these commitments was actually going to put them in a place of real tension. Um, They would be pressured by others. Do you swear on this? Do you swear on that? They would be pressured all the time to make these deals or to make these commitments based on their words. And so Jesus knew that this was going to put significant pressure on them. But nonetheless, this really is the call that he places on them. And as we take a step back and we consider what those implications are for us, I'm sure many of us can think of situations when we're also pressured, maybe not to make an oath or to make a vow, but where we're pressured to lie or to deceive or to maybe go beyond the truth, as Jesus said. Right? There are a lot of situations in our lives today when really like telling the full truth doesn't actually help you, but there are actually a lot of cases where it almost feels like you're pressured into maybe like little bits of deception, right? Like if you ever want to live in an apartment and you have a dog that weighs more than like nine pounds, um, typically most apartment complexes will say, sorry, not allowed. And so all too often it's like, well, now I have to go to my doctor and get this dog to be my emotional support animal. And it's like, okay, well, do I have clinical depression? No, but like if I had to get rid of my dog, I would be sad. And so it's like there are so many different cases where it almost feels like we're kind of pushed and twisted to make these changes. There's so many different situations in our life when it's like, okay, this isn't a lie, this isn't deception, but it seems to kind of be going beyond the truth, and there are situations in our lives where we're almost pushed in this direction. And we could probably give so many more different examples of that. And Jesus here is saying, quite simply, let your yes be yes, your no be no, and anything that goes beyond the truth he says here is from the evil from the evil one did you catch that there from the evil one which honestly sounds kind of dramatic but i don't think this is hyperbole here um, and i want you to kind of hear this and take this seriously this morning as we see um, jesus's statement here that anything that goes beyond the truth from the evil one jesus is essentially saying that deception lying anything that goes beyond the truth, it is evil and destructive every single time. And I know for me, like I hear that, and it sounds kind of dramatic, like really every single time, everything that goes beyond the truth, um, you know, like there's going to be a time when Chris will invite me to a 5.30 a.m. workout this week, and I'm going to have to come up with a reason that I don't want to go or that I have something going on there. It's like, uh, I mean, is that really from the evil one, or is that just my desire to stay in bed at 5.30? You know, but there are all these different situations and where we're pressured to maybe go beyond the truth here. And Jesus says every single time that is destructive and comes from the evil one. All these little times when we're tempted to not give complete honesty or to not hold to the word that we've already spoken. These temptations come all throughout our lives. I'm sure you could think back even just to the last month, maybe to the last week, when you 
had a situation in which you were tempted to maybe twist the truth, maybe omit a detail, maybe shape a story in a way that paints you in a better light, where you were tempted to, so to speak, go beyond the truth. I'm sure you could think of those examples. If you've ever worked in retail in your life, or if maybe you've ever even just worked with the public, um, then you'll know that people will just tell you some of the craziest lies or just tell you the most elaborate stories right to your face and not even blink, right? That lying or even just making stuff up is really common. Many of you know that I worked at Costco in college, and Costco is known for having a very, very um, generous, let's call it, return policy. It's 100% satisfaction guaranteed no matter what. And so, essentially, if you want your money back for any reason, all you have to do, have your receipt, come back, and just say, I would like my money back. And you'd think that a policy quite so lenient and generous would develop maybe a culture of honesty, or that it, it wouldn't lead people to feel like they have to make up reasons for why they would return stuff. But it's quite the opposite. And so it was actually pretty frustrating um, to work there in returns, and people are coming to return things, and all they simply have to say is, I'm just not happy with this, or I just want my money back. No questions asked. Here's your money. Goodbye. But instead what happens is you would get the craziest, most elaborate stories of what happened with this thing, of why they don't need this thing, of why, oh, I bought it and it was supposed to do this, and blah, 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 blah. And I'm just sitting there thinking, like, you don't, like, please stop. You don't actually have to lie right now. You could just tell me you don't like it, and I'm going to give you your money back anyway. And I'll always remember there was one case where a guy had brought in, like, a teeter-totter, a seesaw, whatever you call it, that had clearly been bought in like the 90s and sat outside for 30 years. And I'm sure his kids had just outgrown it and he didn't need it anymore. And he had his receipt, amazing enough. I'm like, wow, good for you. <laughs> but all he needed to say was, I want my money back. Could have given it to him. But I mean, this guy had rehearsed it. He had a story ready. He had a reason ready for why he's going to return this thing. You know, there's this little part in the screw and it squeaks and the handle is, you know, quite coming off. And really on the box, it said that it was supposed to do this and doesn't really do that fully. And I'm just thinking like, why? What is the need? What is the need to try to explain the return here? Or so many cases where people would say like, oh, it's so hard for me to return this thing. I never do this. Meanwhile, I'm looking at their account and they've had a return every single month for like four years. I'm like, yeah, it must be really hard for you. <laughs> but why do we do this? Like, why do we feel the pressure to lie? Why can't we just be honest and tell the truth? There was, I mean, all throughout my time in college, I was notoriously just unavailable to my friends. Um, I was very busy in school full-time. I was working at a church part-time, and then I was working at Costco full-time. And by the way, I was married, so I tried to spend some time with Lena. Um, and so I was just notorious for just not showing up when my friends invited me places. Um, and there was a case where, like, that's just the way that that season of life was going to be for me, and I wasn't going to have enough time to be everywhere. But for some reason, I still felt the need to tell people, like, yeah, I'll probably be there, I could probably make it, um, and to just make that promise and to say that all the time, knowing full well that I didn't actually plan on showing up or being there. And I'll always remember there was one time when I finally did show up. A bunch of my friends all lived in the same house, and they were having a birthday party for another friend, and I actually did make it and show up. And as soon as they opened the door and saw it was me, they were all, like, shocked and surprised. Um, and they were, like, celebrating. Evan's actually here. Wow, it's amazing. And it took, like, three or four of my friends to, like, greet me with excitement and shock for me to think maybe there's something wrong with the way I've been treating my friends. Um, and so I asked them, you know, why are you so surprised that I'm here? And I'll always remember it. One of my good friends 
he told me, well, you always say that you're going to come, but you never actually do. So I'm kind of surprised that you're actually here. And that, that one stung. That one was convicting. That was the struggle that I had, is I just really wanted them to actually maybe expect that I'm there, or I knew I was being a lousy friend, that I wasn't spending time with them. So maybe if I just said that I was going to be there, that would help. But it doesn't. And that's something I still struggle with. Um, so many of you, probably you've invited me somewhere, and I was like, oh yeah, I'll probably make it, and I haven't. And you deserve a real apology, not like a stage preacher apology. Um, but there's this temptation in me that knows my intentions, my heart, that I'm not going to actually make it. I don't actually have time for that. But for some reason, I just want people to think that I can make it to everything. I want people to think somehow I'm the Superman, I'm the kind of friend or the pastor or the kind of person that does have more than 24 hours in a day, and I could make it to all these things. But really, at the end of the day, I can't, and that's a lie and a deception that I still struggle with all the time. I struggle with saying that. I'm sure some of you can probably relate to a similar situation. Or there was another time, a temptation for me to really spin the truth, um, where I was I'm just a leader in our college ministry back in Salem, and the way that we did teachings on Sundays a lot was we would do these Q&A panels. Um, later on, I found that, oh, it was just our pastor's way of not having to actually prepare a message or a teaching, because we could just show up, sit in a panel, and then be like, oh, Jesus, take the wheel. Like, we don't know what's coming. Um, and so we would always sit in these panels and have these Q&As, and I remember specifically this one case where we were having a discussion, a Q&A on relationships, dating, marriage. And the question was asked, like directly to me, of, you know, tell us about like modern Jewish weddings. What do you know about modern Jewish weddings? And I'll tell you at the time, I knew absolutely nothing about Jewish weddings. But did that stop me from answering? <laughs> absolutely not. It, it did not. And so I just started like rambling about every picture of a wedding that I know from the Bible and this and that. And, you know, Jesus went to one one time, and so wine is really important. And I just remember going on and on and having no idea what I was talking about. And I'm pretty sure everyone else in the room could see I had no idea what I was talking about. And I remember vividly, because this is one of those public speaking nightmares that still keeps me up at night, where I just really sensed the Holy Spirit tell me, you're making stuff up. And I was in that moment. I was just blabbering, making stuff up. And so finally, I just had to stop and say, you know what? I really don't know. I don't know a thing about Jewish weddings. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, we'll have to get back to that one. And looking back on that, I still just struggle with, like, why did I feel the need in that moment to be the guy that knows everything about Jewish weddings? Because for some reason, I did. For some reason, I was trying to project this out to everyone, that everyone could see for like three minutes, which feels like an eternity when everyone's staring at you. Like, oh yeah, I know a thing or two. Why couldn't I just honestly say, you know what, I don't know. And if you can relate in any way, then join me in asking, like, what is wrong with us? <laughs> what is wrong with me? Why is telling the truth, why is being completely honest so difficult? And as we look at this passage, I think if Jesus is correct, why is this so difficult? Then it's because these lies are coming from somewhere. Jesus says they are coming from the evil one. Anything beyond the truth is coming from the evil one. And according to C.S. Lewis, he says that there is no neutral ground in the universe, that every square, square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. And so to follow Jesus, I mean, you're joining into this conflict, you're joining into this tension in the world. That at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven has come near. 
as opposed to the kingdom of man, the kingdom of this world, the way that things have been, the way that we feel naturally called to do things. And Jesus is saying, following me as you repent, as you turn away from this way, is actually going to lead you into a conflict. It's going to feel like a war with the society, with the culture around you. It's going to feel like a war within your own heart and mind as you have these opportunities to deceive, to mix the truth. And you're entering into this conflict. Because in this life, Jesus says, we have an enemy. And this enemy, this conflict that we face, is not necessarily what you think it would be like. In Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul wrote that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so we actually have an enemy. There is actually this conflict taking place. And the devil's goal, one of his main things that he does in order to tear down all that God has done, in order to mar the image of God in us and that he's placed on every person, is actually to do that with lies. Do you recognize that? That the devil actually works with deception. Um, His weapons are lies. That this is where they come from. You see, many examples in Scripture show us this, right? That the way the devil wages war is with lies. Grace drop. Where do we go to learn this? We go to Genesis. So the first place that we see this, we see Eve in the garden. And the devil comes to attack her, but he doesn't come with a sword. He doesn't come with an army or anything like that. He comes to her with an idea. He comes to her with a lie. Did God really say this? If you eat that, will you really die? Like, you won't really die, is essentially what the devil was trying to get Eve to believe. You might be separated from God for eternal conscious conscious torment, but, you know, you won't actually die. And that's where it began. Or you see Jesus in the wilderness, right? While he's in the wilderness, he was attacked by the devil, and the devil comes to Jesus and says, if you are the Son of God, and then he goes into his temptation. Now, this is immediately after Jesus had just been baptized, and the Holy Spirit like visibly fell on him, and an audible voice from the heavens was heard that said, this is my son. And now, the devil wants Jesus to question that. He's going to come with him with this lie, with this deceptive idea. If you are the son of God, if that is true, he tries to get him to question. There's this deception, there's this beyond truth going on here. So I don't know what you think of when you think of, like, spiritual warfare or how the devil attacks. But as we look through the scriptures, and especially if we look at one of Jesus' most in-depth teachings on the devil, what you see is that this is how the devil wages war, with lies. One of Jesus' most in-depth teachings on this is found in John chapter 8. In verse 44, Jesus says, he's he's talking to these religious leaders who he's arguing with, Um, And they were looking for a way to kill him, though he had done nothing wrong. They were looking for a way to fix the system, to lie in court about Jesus. And Jesus says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe in me. And Jesus would go on to continually teach that he was the truth. 
So Jesus' teaching here is saying, well, the devil's goal is to tear down all that I've done. He's going to mar the image of God. And the way that he does this is with lies. He speaks his native tongue, it says there. It's his native language to lie. And this is probably not what most of us think about when we think about fighting the devil, right? Um, honestly, I'm sure that most of what we think about is more developed from like movies or just cultural um, superstition than it actually is from scripture. Um, or a lot of the times, I think Christians do a really good job of just giving the devil credit for everything and it kind of turns into a bit of a like Christian paranoia, so to speak. That the devil's hiding under every rock trying to get you and every time you lose your keys or every time you get a flat tire, that is the spiritual attack. I'm like, that might be a little paranoia, um, so to speak. Um, but, uh, or maybe we just limit it to those pictures that we get in movies or just to those examples that we see in the gospel, like legitimate demonic oppression, and we think of attacks from the devil looking like that. And there are examples of that in the New Testament, and I think a lot of that is real. But Jesus' teachings here um, doesn't actually mention that because he's saying the primary way that the devil functions, that the enemy of your souls will attack you, is with lies, with deception. And so all the other stuff that we think of could be legitimate, could be real, but it's probably second, third, or even fourth tier on his plan, the way that he operates. Right? The devil's go-to weapon in spiritual warfare is lying. And I think it's really two categories. It's deceitful ideas, it's lies that he gets us to believe, like we see with Eve in the garden, or like we see with his attacks on Jesus, right? These deceitful ideas, these lies that we believe and then we live into, and then the lies that we speak. The deception, the failing to keep oaths, the things that we go back on, the ways that we twist the truth to make ourselves maybe look better, to manipulate other people into doing what we want them to do. Right? This is actually the battleground in which we find ourselves. And still teaching of Jesus on our need to be honest in every single way is a significant teaching. When we recognize the scope of this cosmic battle we find ourselves in, actually one of the main ways that we fight it is through honesty. Through resisting these lies. And so this first one, I think it's, it's believing lies. It's these lies that we believe that is hard. I think one of the main goals of our enemy, of this evil one, is to get us to believe lies. And I don't think it's just these random little, like, untruths. Um, I had a friend who was a brilliant 22-year-old um, math student. He was very smart. And he was convinced that Alaska was actually smaller than the state of Oregon. And I was trying to convince him otherwise. I was like, no, I promise you Alaska's bigger. So he pulls out a map that looked like this one, where you see, you know, they always move Alaska down to the bottom. And he pulls out this map, and he's like, Evan, <laughs> are you crazy? Obviously, look how small Alaska is. Like, you don't know anything. And he was convinced that Alaska was smaller than Oregon. And I don't think the lies that the devil is trying to get us to believe are necessarily things like that. It's very frustrating, but I don't think it's those lies. Um, when we look at the last three teachings that we've gone through on the Sermon on the Mount, especially when Nick taught a few weeks ago on anger, on murder, um, one of the temptations that Jesus was teaching on is to believe the lie about maybe if you have a disagreement with another person, or if you think another person is not very intelligent, I disagree with this person, so there is nothing going on in their head. And Jesus uses the example of calling someone a name that's calling them foolish or calling them empty-headed. And Jesus, obviously, is saying, don't do this. And if you've done this, you're guilty of murder. But I think it begins 
with believing that lie that if I disagree with this person, if this person's wrong, there's nothing going on in their head. Jesus begins with anger and hatred, and he moves to murder. And obviously, when it comes to murder, there are plenty of lies that the devil could get us to believe to lead to this place, right? Like, my life would be better without this person in it, you know, out of this hatred. Or killing this person would be better for the world than allowing them to live. Or the lie that, oh, that's not really a person, so it's not killing. And it's these lies the devil gets us to believe to move to this place. The next teaching after anger and murder, right, was lust, was the topic of adultery that we looked at. And the lie that the devil wants us to believe is, you know, to have sex with whoever I want is really just what I need to be happy. And that's what I'm missing in life. I'm just, you know, just not enough sex. It gets us to believe this lie. And when it comes to the topic of divorce that Jesus taught on next, we see lies at the very core that I would be happier if I was married to a different person. Or that divorce is common. So it doesn't have to be anything seriously wrong. You know, me unhappy is good enough reason. And we saw the tragic ends of men in that day just coming up with all these different reasons to just send their wives away. Right? That one of the devil's main schemes, one of the ways that he works most, is through these lies that he gets us to believe. Gets us to believe. So this is one of the reasons Jesus came as a teacher. Right. This is one of the reasons Jesus sat everyone down on a mountainside and went through this teaching on all these different topics, calling people to repent, to rethink, to turn from their ways, to turn from the way that we see reality, and to see it his way. You know, Jesus didn't come and invite soldiers and raise this big army and then go and fight with that, did he? The thing is, that's what a lot of people actually expected, though. And Jesus was on trial because he was a threat to the Roman Empire, because they thought that that's what he was going to do, right? And Jesus went around healing people and saying, you should love your neighbor. And then the Roman Empire was terrified and said, duh, we've got to kill this guy. But Jesus came. He said he was a king, but he said, my kingdom is not of this world. And so what they thought of when they thought of king was, you know, someone at the head of an army, someone leading an army, picking up swords. They're going to overthrow the empire. And when you look through the Old Testament prophecies about what the Messiah would do, that's, those are the pictures. The Messiah was going to be this leader of an army. He was going to overthrow the evil powers. The Messiah was going to be this warrior king. And so everyone from Pilate and Peter were expecting this. Right? He's going to lead us in a war. And then you get to the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus teaches to forgive enemies, to love your enemies. But yet, how is he supposed to be this warrior? Well, I think all of those prophecies are true. I think we just misunderstood how this war is fought. I think Jesus coming to teach the truth, to be the truth, was a way that he was going to wage this war. And that his citizens, that people who follow him, who love others the way that he's loved us, is actually the way this war is fought, right? That Jesus was showing that the battle he's going to fight is quite a bit different. And especially like when we get to the book of Revelation and we see this picture of Jesus coming back to make everything right and to finally trample and defeat evil for good. Um, if you go to a place like in Revelation chapter 5, um, you have this amazing picture of this angel crying out, you know, who is worthy to open the scroll? And an angel announces it's the lion of the tribe of Judah, the only one able to open this scroll. 
And so John hears this, the lion of the tribe of Judah, a ferocious giant lion. What do lions do? They eat things. They conquer through intimidation, through violence, through that. And so John hears this, the lion of the tribe of Judah is coming. And when he turns, he doesn't actually see a lion. He sees a lamb that looks like it was killed. Right? Because that's how Jesus defeated evil. Or later on, you get into the book of Revelation, and John hears the army, and you hear, have the whole section of, like, they did the military census, and that's where you get that confusing passage about the 144,000, and that's showing that what's coming is the army of the Lord. And John looks at the army of the Lord, and it's not soldiers with swords and stuff. It's actually martyrs. It's actually a bunch of people who were killed for their faith, who stood for the truth of the gospel. And Jesus is continually rewriting, hey, this is actually the way that this war is fought. It's fought. If you're believing in me, if you're holding fast to the truth, it's fought if you're holding to the gospel. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so this week, as we consider, well, how is it that we live into this? As we move out into the world, and as we follow Jesus as citizens of his kingdom, uh, maybe for you this week, um, you just invite the Holy Spirit to show you some of the lies that maybe you have believed. Some of the lies that maybe have been spoken over you. That he's working to correct. Where the truth needs to come in. Maybe as we've looked over the last three teachings, and they've been very difficult on very convicting topics, maybe during that time um, you have even questioned your own forgiveness or you've just been wrought with guilt and shame. Maybe you just move towards the Holy Spirit and ask him to remind you of who you are who you are as a child of God. And don't let the, the enemy make you question that like he did to Jesus in the wilderness. Well, this would be a great thing to do in community as well, right? To invite someone in. Maybe you're bold enough to ask them, do you think there are any lies that I'm living into? That seems kind of scary, but you could try it. Or maybe there is something that the Holy Spirit's revealed to you, this lie that you've been living in, and you just invite someone from this community in to speak your truth, to remind you of the truth of what Jesus says about that. Maybe for some of us in this room, we're going to have to be that person um, who hears one of our friends, one of our family members expressing this lie that they believed, and our call is to speak the truth to them. Our call is to encourage them in what Jesus has done and who he is, to speak scripture over them, to fight those lies that have been spoken to them. And I forgot to mention it in the announcements, but Nick has put together these discipleship guides um, because we truly believe that following Jesus is more than just meeting for a few hours on a Sunday, um, but especially when it comes to these big things like being people of complete honesty, um, that's something that we have to practice. That's, that's something we have to be intentional with all week. And these really are made to guide us through. <laughs> Christina, you're so fast. Um, you can find it there on the resources page on our website. Um, and maybe this week, um, you look at that and you follow that guide as you allow the Holy Spirit to shape you into a person of complete honesty. What are the lies that I believe? What are the lies that I'm living into? But then there's also the lies that we speak, right? There's also the lies that we speak, the ways that we go beyond truth. I think we know that this week, every single one of us will have ample opportunity to lie, to be deceptive, to go beyond the truth. We are going to have many opportunities to do that. We know this. And many of us are pretty good at it, right? It takes practice. 
And so this week, you have 100 opportunities for deception, for honesty. Or do you just choose honesty? Do you choose to be a person of complete honesty, holding to your word, not needing to make a vow, not needing to make an oath and be held um, by some outside standard, but recognizing that God inhabits all of it, whether you swear on the city, on the hairs in your head, on all these different places, on the temple, Jesus was saying, don't swear on those things because you think it's less important to swear on these other things. But God is actually God of all of it. God is the God of every area of your life. You cannot swear on anything that God is not in control and in charge of. So he cares about honesty in every section of our lives. So this week, as you face those opportunities, would you see it um, with the severity that I think Jesus is calling us to see it from? That anything that goes beyond the truth comes from the evil one. That this truly is the way that we fight the devil in Rapid City. It's choosing to be people of honesty. Paul has this little throwaway line in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where he said, you know, Satan should not outwit us that we are unaware of his schemes. And I think, sadly, many of us have been unaware of his schemes a lot, where we don't realize that one of the main ways that he works is not to possess us like a movie or to do these weird things, but just to get us to lie this week. One of his schemes is to get us to choose, instead of honesty and truth, like Jesus would lead into, but to choose his way of deception, twisting the truth. That anything that goes beyond truth, as Jesus says, it's not necessarily coming from your clever mind. It's actually coming from the evil one. And to choose to lie in that situation, it's not going to make your life better or lead to anything good. But Jesus is saying it can and only will lead to death, destruction, to distrust in relationships, to pain, to heartache. So Jesus is calling us to be aware of that and to choose instead to follow the spirit of truth. So for you this week, just be aware. I think knowing is half the battle. When you recognize the opportunity, the temptation to twist the truth, to manipulate someone through your words, to make a promise that you have no intent on keeping, maybe to give Chris a bad excuse of why you're not going to go to the workout in the morning, um, would you just be aware? <laughs> I'm not making eye contact with him right now. Would you just be aware of those opportunities? That it's a choice between following Jesus or going in completely either direction. So let's pray. So, Father God, would you empower us with your spirit of truth? Would you make us a people of complete honesty? As we gather here in this community to display who you are to the world, we just imagine what Rapid City would look like if each and every one of us were 100% honest 100% of the time. When we were a people who, like you taught, we didn't need to be held to some vow or oath, but who could always be trusted with our words. Jesus, we, we ask that you would illuminate the ways in our lives in which we have believed lies. We've believed lies about you, about other people, about ourselves. Would you just show us those situations? Would you lead us into truth? Would you empower us to speak truth to others this week? Jesus, so many of us have so many cases in which we have distorted the truth, in which we have gone beyond the truth. And so we just come before you with a posture of repentance, and we just thank you for being God who forgives us nonetheless. And so now as we turn to you in worship, we just thank you for being a God who accepts us nonetheless, who has cleaned us, washed our hands, 
made us clean through the blood of your son. And now we get to just worship you freely. But God, we truly desire to repent and to change and to be more like you. And so we ask that you do that in us this week. And Jesus, it's in your name that we pray.
So as you go from this place, usually I like to give a benediction, a blessing to you. But as you go today, I want us to do something a little different. Um, as we consider just being shaped by the truth of God's word as opposed to the lies that we might believe, I want we have a few scriptures that are going to be on the screen, and I want all of us to read these out loud together as we leave. Um, the first one is going to be from Ephesians chapter 6. And let's read this together. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in 1 Peter, chapter 5. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And last one here, from James chapter 4. And read it with your chest so it doesn't sound creepy like we're just monotone chanting in here. So James chapter 4. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. And that is the promise for all of you this week. As you come near to God, he will come near to you. So grace and peace, common ground. Thank you for coming. Have a wonderful week.